I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Last week we started a series on praying Jesus' way, or praying the Jesus' way from the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is a very counter-cultural sermon that Jesus Christ gives us. He basically says the theme for all of that sermon is, as Christ followers and kingdom citizens, we should live differently, walk differently, and talk differently than folks that are not kingdom citizens. And we talked about three different religious good things that people do sometimes that can turn hypocritical if we aren't careful. We talked about giving good things to people, giving alms, helping people, doing nice things for people. We talked about prayer. We talked about fasting. And then, specifically, we lifted prayer out, and we'll continue to do that over the next three weeks, and look at this prayer that Jesus tells them about here on the Sermon on the Mount. But last week, we talked about not praying to be seen. Remember we said that we don't need to have hypocritical prayer. We don't need to pray so folks will pass on the back and say, oh, my goodness, what a wonderful prayer that we have. Uh, we talked about hypocritical prayer is the idea, the intention of attention, to draw attention to ourselves. And, and we can also take doing good and helping people and, and fasting, anything we do, teaching a Sunday school class, taking care of the churchyard, uh, whatever it is we do, if we do it to gain attention for ourselves, we have our reward, right? That's as far as it gets. If we're praying to be seen, our prayers aren't going to get above the rafters because uh, the Father's not listening. Then we talked about praying to be heard. We talked about the fact that private prayer brings intimacy with God. It, it's what grows that relationship with God. And, and you guys may not know this, but I'll let you know just in case you don't. Right over here to my right, as you step back into the fellowship hall, this looks like a closet right over here. It's actually a prayer room. It has a bench. It has a tablet. It has like a little uh, podium. Not really a podium, but something you could write on to write your prayer requests. And I suggest that you make use of it. Uh, make, make use of that prayer closet that we have here in the church building. But we talked about the fact that private prayer is how you draw close to God. Private prayer is where we say those things that, that we only want God to hear. Sometimes there are things on our heart that we only want our Father to hear. And so we pray those prayers in private. We talked in our Sunday school this morning about the fact that when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, he separated himself from his apostles. When a stone throw away because he wanted to have a very intimate conversation with his Father. And then finally last week, we talked about praying to be meaningful. And we said it's not the quantity of our prayers, but rather the quality. God doesn't hear us just because we say a bunch of words. God doesn't hear us because we say an eloquent <coughs> prayer. God, We want God to hear us for our meaningful prayers. We pour out our heart to God. But then Jesus transitions from this section on profitable prayers, and he goes into what most folks call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that's really not the best name for this prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really Luke chapter 17. When at the Last Supper, the Lord prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us as believers in the future. But this is what I call the model prayer. I think that's a better name, because Jesus starts this section 
in Matthew chapter 6 by saying there in verse uh, 8, he says, don't be like them, for your father knows the things you have in, needs of, in need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. In other words, he says, pray like this, and he, he teaches us how to pray. You know, this really shows, to me, the leadership skills of Jesus, and we say, well, duh, he was God. But Jesus doesn't just say, pray profitable prayers. Jesus says, this is how you pray. And he shows us. Good leaders do that. Those of you who uh, have folks underneath you, it's a good thing to show your folks what you have in mind rather than just telling them what you have in mind. When I, I ran a McDonald's, if I had a new cook, I didn't just say, you know, you've got you to make a quarter pounder. That's an order. The picture's right there on the table. Just make it like the picture. The way that I trained was I got stood beside him and said, here's how you make a quarter pounder. And, and I showed him how to do the bun and how to put all the ingredients on, how to wrap it. Uh, Jesus doesn't just say, pray. He says, pray like this. Now, we preachers sometimes are bad. We say, be holy. And well, what do we mean when we say be holy? Be close to God. What do you mean by be close to God? Pray. Well, Jesus tells us here how to pray. And, and this morning, we're going to read this entire prayer. And then we're just going to look at this first section uh, in verses 9 and 10. But let's start reading in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that a simple prayer? It's a very, very simple prayer, and if we're not careful, we'll read it so fast we go, we'll skip right over it. And if you do that, you're going to miss a blessing, because this, this prayer is chock full of, of things that will help us draw closer to God, and, and will help us in our prayer life if we would apply them and, and learn them. But there are four characteristics of God in this prayer, in this section, in verses 9 and 10. There are four characteristics of God as we look to see God for who he is and uh, what his characteristics are. And, and the first thing I want us to look at is the fact in verse 9, we should always acknowledge our relationship to God. We should always acknowledge our relationship to God. Jesus starts this prayer by saying, Our Father. If the Jews of Jesus' day recognized God as Father at all, they recognized him as the father of Israel, kind of a national father. Uh, they, they did sometimes say the father of Abraham, the father of Jacob, the, the father of Isaac. But the idea of them having God as their personal father would have been presumptuous. Even today, Orthodox Jews, they will start their prayer something like master of the universe, a creator of heaven, our provider, something like that. They don't call God their personal father. For Jesus to have said that, that would have raised some eyebrows. It would have been a very radical thing. As a matter of fact, some of them would have said he was being blasphemous by calling God their father. But Jesus does exactly that. He says, our father who's in heaven. And, and somebody might say, well, I thought God was the father of everybody. 
After all, you know, in creation, he created man. So isn't God, aren't we all made in the image of God? The answer to that is yes. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. You say, well, how do you know that? Put your finger here and let's turn over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus has an interesting conversation with some religious leaders. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. John 8, 31, beginning. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. They, that's the religious leaders, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? A couple of comments here. This is them calling Abraham their father. They looked at Abraham as their physical father. But also they said we've never been in bondage with anyone. They were in Babylonian captivity. They were in Egyptian captivity. And right here they were being, uh, they were being ruled by the Romans. So that's not exactly true. But anyway... They said, we are Abraham's descendants. Jesus answered, verse 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now look at verse 37 again. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. He's going out of his way to talk about that. He has a father that's different than their father, right? Their fathers are different. He's saying, you're not doing the deeds of my father. And you're not doing Abraham's deeds. And you've got a different father. And then they answer in verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. They kind of get down in the gutter with Jesus a little bit. They say, we're not, we're not illegitimate. We, we have one father. God is our father. Now, once again, they're looking at God as their national father. And watch what Jesus says in verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Why can't you understand me? It's because you are not able to listen to my word. Now watch verse 30, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in it. But he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus tells them, no, God is not your father. Actually, the devil is your father. Satan is your father. And if you go back to Matthew, when Jesus says, we pray our father in heaven, this is a very special relationship that kingdom citizens have. Jesus comes to earth to tell us that, remember when he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says there is a very 
special group of people that can call God their Father. And that's those that have come through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's even more intimate than the relationship that Israel and the Old Testament had with God. Remember, God made the covenant with the Israelites, and he says, I'll be your God, you'll be my, my people. If you'll do what I uh, tell you to do, then I will bless you and take care of you. If you don't, not so much. Uh, of course, they didn't, and it got turned into not so much. Uh, but the relationship we have with God is even better and more intimate than what the Israelites have, because we can come to the Father, we can call God our Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only is it the word our Father, that's the Greek word in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spoke Aramaic. That was the, the word of the, the, top, the language of the common people of Palestine in Jesus' day. And the word that Jesus used here was the word Abba. And that word is best translated in our English language as Daddy. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word daddy and the word father, uh, it's two different relationships. A uh, father is kind of a formal sort of relationship, but the idea of daddy, daddy, that's the kind of when you crawl up in your father's lap and you put your arm around him and say daddy, or you, uh, you're fishing out on, the, uh, out on the lake and you stick a fish up in your finger and you tears in your eyes and you look up and you say daddy. That's kind of what, that, that's what God, that's what Jesus says here. That's a relationship that we have. We need to remember we have a relationship with our Father. And the only way, the reason that God blesses us, have you ever thought about this? God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe you anything. As God, he is, he is the master of the universe. He's the creator. Of the, he owes us nothing. But that was our daddy. There's just so much he wants to bless us with. Don't you want to bless your kids and your grandkids? Just because they're your kids and grandkids, right? If we want to bless our kids and grandkids, how much more then does God want to bless us? It's pretty cool that God is our Father. And when we start our prayer, Jesus says, let's start it by saying, but that's not all that he says here. He says, our Father who is in heaven. And while we acknowledge God as our Abba, as our Daddy, we also must remember he is our Father in heaven. The term Father tells us we can approach God intimately and boldly. But the phrase in heaven reminds us that we should approach God reverently, in fear and in awe. When we recognize that our Father is in heaven, we're also reminded that our true citizenship's in heaven. If that's where our Father is, that's where we will be. I grew up in Madison, Tennessee, 910 New West. Uh, if I live to be 100 years old, if somebody says, where's home? Where's your home place? The first thing I'm going to think of is 910 New West, because that's where I spent the most of my childhood. That was home. That's where my father was. Well, as Christians, when we realize that our Father is in heaven, we also need to remember that that's where our real home is, too. Now, that's a whole other sermon, and we're not going to preach that here. But the phrase that our Father in heaven helps to keep things in balance. We do know that God is our Father. He is our Daddy. He wants to bless us. He wants to give to us. He, he wants to take care of us. 
But our citizenship is there. Our home is not here. And we'll talk about this in next week's sermon. So much of the things we want God to give us are things for this earth. They're things for this life. They're things for this kingdom that we're living in here. But really and truly, we need to remember our citizens, our fathers in heaven. That's where our true home is, too. But as we keep on going, he says, our Father who is in heaven, he says, hallowed be your name. Not only do we need to acknowledge and recognize our relationship with God, we need to recognize our responsibility to uphold God's reputation. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. That's what that word hallowed or hallowed means. Have you noticed that the model prayer is laid out very similarly to the Ten Commandments? When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments talk about man's relationship to God. You'll have no other God before me. You won't make images and bow down to them. It's the way we treat God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The last part of the Ten Commandments have to do with our everyday life. In the model prayer, these first two verses start to talk about our relationship with God, the what, what, what we have to do with God, our Father in heaven. He is our Father. He's in heaven. He's also holy. And we need to remember and realize that. I'm afraid that we have become very casual in our reference to God in our world today. So many people think of God as the man upstairs. I, I, I don't have any people out here at work saying, well, you know, the man upstairs says this and says that. And you know what that picture's in my mind? It's that old man that's in his pajamas, in a house coat, maybe smoking a pipe. And he, he's just that old man that maybe he used to be strong. Maybe he used to be vibrant, but now he's just that old man. Y'all, God deserves more than that, amen? He is our Father in heaven, and he is holy. We make jokes about God, and I've done that before. You said God did this or that. God's convicted me that I ought not do that because God is God, and he is nothing to joke about. And there's something that a lot of people do today, and Lord willing, you'll never hear me do this or see me. You'll never hear me say this or never read me write this, but they'll write the phrase, OMG, oh my God. And I'm not saying that God's going to send down the lightning, but that, that's what we call a euphemism. A euphemism is a substitution for another word. When we, want, when we say OMG, what we really want to say is an ugly word quite often. And we say OMG. That's taking God's name very, very lightly. Uh, God, God deserves better than that. He deserves our respect. He deserves our uh understanding that he is holy. We have a responsibility of God as Christ followers and as, as God followers to uphold God's name and keep it holy. While Christians understand in our heads who God is and how holy he is, sometimes we forget that we are his representatives on earth down here, don't we? We forget that we have an obligation and a job to help keep God's name holy, help keep God's name respectfully. Just as God is serious about protecting his holiness and his reputation, we too as God's children could be concerned with upholding 
God's reputation in our daily lives. Question. Have your kids ever gotten in trouble at school or maybe at staying at a friend's house and they call you and say, you need to come to the school right now. Your child's doing something terrible. And of course you'll say, well, what did he do? And they tell you. And the first thing out of our mouth is, well, he wasn't raised that way. Or she wasn't raised that way. You know, we don't teach them that. We're not devil worshipers at home or anything like that. We, 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 we didn't teach them that. They didn't get that from us. Why do we say that? It's because we feel like that our child's behavior reflects on us. And why do we feel that way? Because it does. I'll go to Centerville sometimes, and I'll see somebody I have no clue who they are. And they'll say, aren't you Leander Plank's father? And I'll say yes. And it just made me think I would never do anything intentionally. I would never want to do anything intentionally to embarrass Leander because I'm kind of her father. Uh, somebody will say, hey, preacher. And I have no clue who they are. And I'll just say, hey, like I've known them all my life. But it also makes me realize that people are watching and seeing. And, and guess what? Y'all don't get off the hook either. Because as Christian people, there's a certain way we should talk, and a certain way we should act, and a certain way we should dress, because we are representing our Father. When people look at me, when people look at you, do they say, well, I thought he was a Christian. I, I thought she was a Christian. I didn't think Christians acted that way. I didn't think Christians spoke that way. Remember, our God is holy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Our God is holy. That word means spotless and blameless. And because God is holy, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 15, I'm not going to turn there and read it. You can read it later. Write it down. It's making, see, I'm not making it up. Peter says, God tells us, because I'm holy, you be holy. We have an obligation, we have a responsibility to remember who we are and to remember whose we are. I told you before when my, my mom, my dad had to stay back and forth, but I went to college in Tampa, Florida. My mom and dad took me there and they left me there all by myself, 750 miles away from home. And the last thing my grandfather told me, he said, son, remember who you are and remember who you belong to. And at first, then I thought he was telling me, remember I was a plank and who keep the name. And then I have, we have that certain obligation. But as I've gotten older, I realized he was talking to me, I belong to God. And he said, I'm not here to watch you anymore. So when you act and you go on your own, you make decisions reflecting what you belong to. Our Father, you are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We need to remember, first of all, our relationship with God as Father. Second of all, we have an obligation to acknowledge and realize the responsibility that we have a part in helping God keep his reputation in our life and in our actions. But third, we need to remember that we are part of God's realm, or we are part of God's kingdom. In verse 10. And when we say your kingdom come, this is a first of seven requests 
in this model prayer. There's seven requests that are given. The first one is your kingdom come. And and when I hear the word kingdom, I don't know about you, but, but my mind begins to wander to a castle and a prince and a princess. And what we think of when we think of kingdom is usually a place. Maybe when you hear the word kingdom, you think of Camelot or one of those movies about knights and Lancelot and, and uh, all of those type movies. But in actuality, when Jesus says, we should pray, thy kingdom come, this has a twofold meaning. First of all, we're actually praying for God to reign in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. There's a time we need to pray, thy kingdom come. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be coming back to set his kingdom here on earth. We need to be praying for Jesus to come. But in a very real sense, beginning in Acts chapter 2, Jesus' kingdom has come in the hearts of believers. The hearts of men and women, boys and girls. When Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and he compared it to a mustard seed, and he says it starts as one of the smallest seeds that we have, but it just grows up into giant epic proportions. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we need to pray, thy kingdom come, right here in Paris. We want to be praying that God's will and God and the Holy Spirit would, would take over the lost here in Fairview and in Tennessee and in the United States and, and across the world. Thy kingdom come. As a Christian, we have a place and an obligation here on earth. And that is to help enlarge the kingdom of God. Now, that's Holy Spirit work. And the Holy Spirit does the converting. Our job is to point people toward Jesus. Our job is to show people Jesus in our life. By the way we talk, by the way we act. We should first and foremost be about kingdom work. God's kingdom work. Here's a question. Whose kingdom are we most trying to build? God's? When I hear some preachers preach, it doesn't take me long to realize they're trying to build their kingdom. They're not real interested in building God's kingdom. But you know what? When we are focused on stuff, and we'll talk about this again next week, when we are focused on, on stuff and things and clothes and cars and boats and jobs and money, those are not eternal kingdom principles. Jesus says that when we die, we can only take certain things with us, and those things we can take with us are eternal. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. I spent, we spent, Marie and I spent most of yesterday afternoon cutting grass and weeding. And when it was done, boy, it looked so beautiful. And our neighbors, everybody mowed yesterday, it seemed like that was the thing to do. And everybody's grass, as far as you could see, it was cut and it looked beautiful. And I thought, man, this is just terrific. And then you know what I thought? The Lord laid on my I've been thinking about this sermon, and the Lord laid on my mind. You know what, Andy? One of these days you're going to be gone, and then you're just going to be cut the grass. As beautiful as that grass is, it's not God's kingdom stuff other than the fact it's God's creation and we should take care of that creation. 
I preach that sermon too, but I don't even want to eat, so I'm not going to do that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And then finally he says, your will be done. We need to recognize God's right to rule in our life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God rules heaven with absolute sovereignty. God did not wake up this morning, and I don't think there's morning and evening in heaven because time and space is something God created when he created the world. But for, for our language, God didn't wake up this morning wringing his hands going, well, I hope those angels stay in line today. I, I sure hope Mars doesn't blow up today. God rules in heaven with absolute sovereignty. What he says goes. What he says they do. What he wills, they obey. And while God is ultimately sovereign over everything and everybody here on earth, at the present time, the kingdom of Satan influences people to do things contrary to God's will. And while we're looking at this phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we can look at big abstract Concepts like God's sovereignty or versus man's free will. There are some things that are set in God's sovereignty, but yet man still has free will. So how does that balance and how does that work? And once again, we'll preach that another time. But what I want us to do today, I want to ask you, I'm going to boil this down, this phrase, now will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to one question. And my question to you is this, who is on the throne of your life? Who runs your life? Who is on the throne of your life? When we pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and while that does carry with it the idea of nations and governments falling in line with God's will, bottom line is, before we worry about God being on the throne of nations and governments, we need to make sure he is on the throne of our life. Amen. We need to be willing to say, God, you have a right to run my life. Because you know what he does. We need to realize that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, we've made him our Lord. When we say, Lord, I'm yours, we're going to sing I Surrender All as an invitation song. When we sing I Surrender All, do we need it? Or do we lie when we sing that song? If we keep asking for our wants instead of trusting God for our needs, God will never be in charge of our life. You see, if I pray in my will and my prayers, they sound something like, Lord, give me enough money to pay my bills. Lord, give me strength to take care of my job. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Uh, by the way, I'd like to have good health, please. You fix this heart of mine, I'd really appreciate it. And, and I really don't want any worries. I, I would like to go through, you know, stress, they say, hurts you. And, and I don't want to be stressed, Lord. So if you can take all the stress away from me, I'd really appreciate that. That's my will. You know what God's will for my life is? God's will for my life is to make me like Jesus Christ. God's will for your life, if you're a Christian, is to make you like Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes that means going through the valley. Sometimes that means discipline. Sometimes it means hard stuff. Because it's through the hard stuff and the hard times that we learn. How do I know that? That will sound way like my parents and grandparents when I say that. The older I get, the more my parents come out of my mouth. But as each generation of Americans have come along, they call the first, uh, the, the World War II generation, America's greatest generation. Those kids grew up in the Depression. My grandfather told me stories about at Christmas time, they, they were lucky to get an apple or an orange uh, for Christmas. And uh, in their home, they had sometimes... There were some cracks in the, in the ceiling and the roof where he had to shake the snow off their blankets in the morning. They had it hard. And they worked very, very hard for what they had. And each generation that's come along has had it easy. My mom's generation didn't have to work as hard as my grandparents' generation. I didn't have to work as hard as my parents' generation. And we've raised kids today that didn't work as hard as we did. And you know what's happened? is that we have raised a generation of entitled people because it's about what they want. No hard aches, no soft, no hard time. And, and I say that as a general rule. There are a lot of good kids today too. Right? And sometimes we don't speak up enough for them. So, so there, there's been some, some nurses and caregivers that I've met that are, that are young people that are absolutely terrific. Some of my friends on, on Facebook, some of the Andrews friends on Facebook, that I've, I've known them since they were in school. And I, I look, I'm, I'm excited about what their life's going to bring. But when we focus on our stuff, you can't focus on God. God wants to make you more like Jesus. God wants to make me more like Jesus. And that starts with a dependence on God. But Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, made his prayer right before his Judas' betrayal. Jesus prayed, and I'm going to planks paraphrase this prayer, but he said, Father, I'd soon not do this. I would have soon not go, I would have soon not go through what it is that you're going to have me go through. But then he said, nevertheless, your will be done. Can you pray that prayer? Let's recite the Lord's Prayer together with what we have said just today. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's my question. Is Miss Mary, if you'll come on up. We're going to sing, I surrender all. Y'all know the words of that song, so you don't need your song. For but as she comes up, I want to ask you a question. Did you lie when you said what you just said? When you said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, did you really mean that? Is the Lord on the throne of your life? Is God your Father? We're going to have an invitation time right here. And when we have that invitation time, it's a time to reflect and let the Holy Spirit work on us. And as he works on us, we need to be willing to let God's will be done. I'm convinced if, if you're a Christian, Holy Spirit's working on you, what he's telling you to do is God's will. The question is going to be, are you going to follow God's will or 
will. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I come to you realizing that you are our Father, and I just thank you for the blessing you've given us as our Father, and just thank you most especially for heaven and the future home that, that we have there. Father, I pray that we would be about kingdom work. And we would be in our lives and in our jobs as we leave this place, be about pointing others to you and, and working as your agents to grow your kingdom in our circle of influence. But Father, I just focus on this phrase, thy will be done. And I pray that during this invitation time, your will would be done on our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would take our hearts and peel back the layers and, and reveal to us what we need to do to get into the center of your will. And I pray then, Father, when you've revealed that to us, that we would have the conviction to do what it is you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.